Everyone knows that putting money aside in savings is really important. But then what? Should you keep your savings locked in a CD for a higher rate or keep them liquid in a money market? Can your checking account help you save too? Or is it about creating the right combination? We believe real banking is a conversation. Let's talk about the savings options that are right for you. Learn more at sandyspringbank.com. Member FDIC. Hey, podcaster. Meet Acast. We're the top independent podcast network for creators in the know. We empower you to develop your podcast idea, find your audience, and grow listener relationships wherever those listeners are. You'll also find a whole range of ways to make money, from membership plans for paying fans to our fully curated and creative advertising experience. Visit acast.com slash network to find out more. Acast, for the stories. everyone welcome to another Wolves fancast special let's talk about racism in football I am joined by Gully hi guys I'm joined by Luke how you doing everyone you okay and I'm joined by Andy hiya folks so guys um really important topic uh, as always a, a topic that Sadly, for all the wrong reasons, isn't going away uh, and something that is ever prevalent in the news at the moment, racism in football and then, of course, in the wider in the wider world. Um, the what I'd say for anybody that is new to this series, well, Gully, give a quick summary for us kind of on the last episode and, and what you kind of the kind of feedback that you had from that episode in terms of the fan cast and the reception. Yeah, so the the previous episode kind of covered the Black Lives Matter kind of subject and the taking of the knee. Um, it was around the time that, um, like, as an example, the Millwall fans had booed the players. Um, they'd just come back into the grounds and and booed the players for taking the knee. And we really kind of just got stuck into the situation that we're living in at the moment with the, you know all the abuses that are going on in, in many different arenas. Um, uh, and you know subjects such as that, and um, you can go back and, and find it in our in our podcast, um, in our previous recordings, if you if you fancy a look at that. And it was just a kind of you know open air kind of discussion with um, we had Stu, um, myself, Luke, and Rich on at that one as well. And you know we we lo- we love this game, but it, it's always a forum for some some behaviours that we're not really too proud of. And um, it's just a, a point to highlight that. And uh, we're going to a different, slightly different take on it this time around. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, more so than ever now, um, racist abuse, especially when it comes to social media, um, is in the news ever more. And, and thankfully, it is in the news as much as it is at the moment and highlighting how this is, is still a very, very real problem that we have at the moment. You've only got to search for keywords and there's a plethora of news items that come up about some of the horrid and torrid racial abuse that's been, you know, uh, given to the professionals within the game at the moment. Um, I know that um, AC Milan on loan, Chelsea defender, um, Tamori, he's been, he's called out very, very recently for more to be done. Marcus Rashford, um, uh, obviously another advocate um, at the moment. 
the list goes on and on and on, and we'll get into it in, in a bit more in depth at the moment. The first kind of thing I'd want to ask you guys is actually social media and the news at the moment. I I think that they're doing more to kind of highlight these issues. Are you seeing more in the news, do you think, or is it something that still needs more eyes on it? Um, for me, I, I think it's it's almost becoming a daily occurrence mm-hmm. now that it's in the news, that there's <clears throat> discussions around the negative the negative side of social media and how it's impacting some of these uh, blue ticks, shall we say, because that's the news that we're seeing at the moment, that, that's... Um, the target towards these athletes and famous people. Um, so it's it's positive because again, it brings about these conversations. Um, when we was discussing the sort of format of, of this pod, we sort of touched on well, what can we talk about in part one? What can we talk about in part two? And there's that much going on now. We, you know, we can dedicate pretty much a whole podcast just to the issues that we've seen the last couple of days, which which speaks volumes to me of just about how much it is being brought to our attention. Yeah, I mean, Andy, you, you know, you're on social media as much as everybody else. What's what's the current climate as far as you see it? In, you know, you obviously look a lot more into the film side of things and media in terms of like the performing arts. Is, is the conversations being had in those arenas um, on social media about, like racial inequality and, and, and abuse online? Yeah, there are. Um, so obviously I, I quite like my Star Wars stuff. So we, within the Star Wars community, if you look, you've seen both sides of this coin lately. So you've got someone like John Boyega, who is a black man, who is very uh, pro-black. He was there at the Black Lives Matter marches. He's held up as like a real beacon for the young black community and rightfully so. And then at the same time, um, when we had the Last Jedi movie came out, there's a young Asian woman called Kelly Tran um, and she got dogs abuse. I mean, she, she had the double header of being Asian and female in the Star Wars community. So this is something that is going on in all walks of life. It's not just in the football, it is everywhere. It's in entertainment as well as, uh, as, well as sports. And it's like it's depression as hell to say, to be perfectly honest. Mm-hmm. And and like yeah. Luke was alluding to with the football, over the last few weeks, it's been almost every other day in all levels of the game. We've heard it about it with players down in League One. We've heard about it players in the Premier League. It seems like no one can escape it. And it's, as I said, it's depressing. It is. It is. And I think what what's great about, you know, it being in the news at the moment so much is it is inescapable. It's there. But we're also in a position, especially with lockdown at the minute, the news is so disposable that you see it and then it's just the next story comes along. And I'm not sure it's getting the attention that it should. Gully, from your point of view, um, is the media doing enough in terms of highlighting these issues or is it? You know, are they just throwaway news articles that, you know, the next, you know, the next thing about is Jurgen Klopp leaving Liverpool or, you know, just takes over the next story? Are websites and news articles and news outlets doing enough at the moment as, as far as you're concerned? I guess uh, part of it, you know, the news cycle is so regular and, you know, updated within this own topic that 
you know, it's impossible to to not report on it. I think, like you say, we're getting cases of it every single day. Um, I've seen more kind of tackling racism in sport documentaries in the last year than I can remember for the previous 10 before that. Mm-hmm. So it's it's definitely being highlighted a lot more. Now, I feel like each of those documentaries, just as an example, kind of seem to follow the same path, really. Um, there was the one that Anton Ferdinand did around his incident with John Terry um, and then the Michael Richards one, uh, which he did as well. And they they just felt a little bit like, you know, there's the shock factor, there's the, there's the abuse, there, there's the whole, you know, growing up I've experienced X, Y, Z. And they tell the story fantastically and it's emotive and it's it's really engaging media, but it's the, the what next kind of part that never really seems to follow on from that. And mm. They don't, there's not a, there's not you know for all the you know TV viewings and ratings you might get for putting on a documentary like that you know what real world impact is there um, and all it seems to be at the moment is just kind of highlighting an issue you know what do the, what do people say don't bring me problems bring me solutions and nobody really seems to be figuring out what those solutions are at the moment or acting upon if there is a solution out there which I'm sure we'll go into um, actually making movements in that direction. Mm. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I'd agree with that. I think there's an element and there's always a curse with these kind of things. And it's the same thing with mental health in that I think these documentaries, while great at highlighting things at a very tip of the iceberg level, footballers are so unrelatable to everyday people because of the you know wealth and, and everything else. And I think sometimes like problems like race are swept under the carpet because people think, well, it's just something that comes with the territory of being a superstar which obviously isn't the case because things like this are universal. They, you know, racism doesn't stop for money or it doesn't stop for for mental health. Do you know what I mean? So um, I think we're in a position where we are only looking at the tip of the iceberg in terms of highlighting some of the issues that are going on within the game and then the wider world. Part of me wonders if it's a case of they don't know quite what to do with it next. So they're just trying to get information out there to then start the conversation because mm-hmm. I suppose you know you're not going to get to the the the, the point you want to be at without trudging through all of the shit and I feel like we're in the trudging stages of things at the moment which is difficult to I, see the woods for the trees but you hope yeah. that it is going to lead somewhere positive I do I, think I agree um, with you yeah sorry go on Lee go. oh sorry go on Lee no, I, I do think Andy makes a very very valid point there the conversations are being had now and, and once the conversations start to be had then people can start to put plans into place because I mean there'd be nothing worse than just for the FA for example tackling racism in football to make a decision that's not thought through because it needs to be a long term plan to tackle racism and the issues that we're going to touch on today um, so I do think this is a starting point now and with it being in the news more, hopefully we'll we'll see like a snowball effect and we can look back in five, ten years' time and say, God, remember when we used to have that problem on Instagram, on Twitter with footballers being abused and because of X, Y and Z being put into place, we don't we don't see or hear of that anymore really, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. There's an element for me, and obviously there's been calls um about the verification of Twitter accounts and there's been calls 
in relation to how we identify people when it comes to social media and being able to have accountability for racist abuse online, you know, being able to uh, create a nameless, faceless account and be able to give dogs abuse to anybody for anything is so easy. It's, it borders on offensive. Is that my concern with that is people that are racist, people that are sexist, people who are whatever, will always find something to be outraged with that will deflect from what they are being criticised for. So, for example, if you was to say to somebody, right, you need to give your passport number or your driver's licence number or, or something to get, onto, um, to get onto Twitter, my civil liberties are being taken away from in the, in, in the name of leftism and racism. How, how do we tackle that? How, how do we get people on side to wanting to understand that these things are in place to stop things like racial abuse and, and people's voices who are trying to uh, undermine that? You know, how do we get people to stop listening to that? It's really difficult. I, th I think th the first step in the dance is people just acknowledging that there is a problem out there. I, yeah. I don't think there's necessarily enough of the people that are out there and you know so many more people are involved in this conversation now because we're all on social media and we're all you know we've all got a voice and you know we're all you know able to you know spout whatever opinion that that, that we want and whatever happens you're going to get you know when you make a, a point on such a sensitive topic you're going to get you know a, a defensive one naturally defensive one i think you, you just get that reaction now there's you know an always an equal and opposite reaction from people who don't necessarily hold the same views as you know, I'm not, I'm not even saying these people are racist, you know, you know, it, it might be, you know, something as simple as, um, you know, diversity and, um, you know, initiatives, uh, you know, trying to get more women into, you know, higher positions in, in business or trying to get more black people in football coaching or in the FA, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, you, you immediately get that backlash of, Oh, these people are getting a leg up and, you know, what, no, we never, you know, got any support from, from, you know, what I wanted to do. I had to graft for everything I had, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But there's that lack of acknowledgement that the issue is these people aren't in these positions, you know, on merit. They're not getting there on merit. So suddenly an initiative needs to come into play. But th th there's a massive gap between the, the stance that they've taken and the, the, the reaction to what the actual problem is. Mm -hmm. And that's the gap that needs to be bridged, I think, at the moment. You know, just recently there's, you know, just I, I saw it, Tim Spears, you know, he, he sent an article out about this, um, the latest Asians in football initiative. Um, and, you know, it, it's all about trying to get more Asians into football. It's not representative of the population, etc. cetera. Um, something quite personal to me for obvious reasons. And you saw people tweeting on Tim Spears' article that if you're good enough, you'll make it, etc. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that that's immediately straight away not acknowledging that there's a problem, you know, and, and mm. when you've got your head in that space, then you're not going to make progress at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I saw that when uh, with the, the responses to Spears' tweet and immediately I just thought none of you have actually read that article. You've seen the headline and it's just some reactionary bullshit to the headline, isn't it? Because if no, you were to read it, you would see why it's not just the case of having the talent. You've also got to be able to have your face has got to fit. And like, as you've said, Asians in football is, I mean, how many have actually played at a professional level above 
well, in, in the league, is it five, six, something like that? I'm sure it, it was such a ridiculously low number when Asians make up a, you know, a decent proportion of the British population. It makes no sense because, like, I remember back when I was at school, some of the best players on our school team were Asian lads. So it, it just doesn't make any sense that that doesn't translate into the wider footballing world. Other yeah. than it's just a case of people have got this blinkered view of you're Asian, you you belong in that box. And that's the only way I can see it. That's why I think footballing scouts and everything don't look at Asian players as much as they'd look at players with other ethnic backgrounds. I remember, like, I mean, you, you're talking about unconscious bias there. You, you know, it's part of, of part of... And I remember... I mean, going as far as back as the introduction of the Rooney Rule in in NFL, and think, and then the um, and I and I admit I've, I've I've got no problem in saying I've grown as a person in in relation to these kind of con, these kind of conversations over the years. And I remember the Rooney Rule back in the day when I was more ignorant than than um, than I am now, and thinking to myself, well, this this doesn't this doesn't feel right. People should be there on people should be there on merit, and we should have. Um, you know, we should be having blind CVs and stuff like that. And those are the initiatives that are in place in some workplaces in the UK now. But I think the difference is I never used to believe that unconscious bias was a thing. And I absolutely do now um, working within certain like things through work and, and things like that. Unconscious bias in the game. I mean, you look at it at the, um, at the inclusion of, of managers from minority backgrounds across the, the footballing pyramid as well. Is it something that you feel is still as prevalent at the moment within within the game and unconscious bias towards black, Asian or ethnic minorities in terms of kind of coaching positions or managerial positions? I, I believe so, massively. Um, I mean, my only coaching experience is with children under 60 to under 11. So I'm not going to pretend like I've experienced it at a semi-pro level with adults. But even in that sort of environment, you turn up on a match day and you feel like you have to just work that little bit harder to mm. gain the trust of not your players, the parents, the opposition parents, the opposition coaches. I mean, I know I'll rock up with a tracksuit doing a couple of kick-ups. The opposition coaches probably think I'm just some raggedy-ass kid from a council estate, single-parent upbringing, etc., who thinks he's a bit flash, a bit cocky, trying to, to run a team. But I'd like to think on the depth of it, I'm, I'm actually quite knowledgeable in it. But you know what I mean? Like that, You feel like you have to really earn the respect mm-hmm. of certain, certain peer groups. I think there's an element of um, when it comes to that in, in the, in the professional game as well, um, where you've got this, you've got this vicious cycle of somebody, let's say Darren Moore, for example, um, rocks the footballing world with the news of his sacking and talk sport. Say what you want about Adrian Durham. He raised the point around unconscious bias involved in his sacking. Um, and there's this element of, if 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 a, a person from an ethnic minority was to get a position, there'll always be a certain amount of people that said, "Well, he got this uh, as a token token appointment." 
Um, but then there will also be the flip side of it where people will, he'll have to perform miracles to be accepted as a, as a manager, uh, as opposed to a change to the old guard, like the old adage of getting Pulis in to do a job or something mm. like that as well. And it seems like that is something that's going to take a lot of work and effort to get around these kind of things about there being successful managers that aren't stuffy, white, old men. Sorry, if I can just mention a point. Like what I feel, and I could be completely wrong here, but when there's sort of like a, a young black manager appointed at a professional club, it doesn't feel like it gets the same sort of excitement as when there's a young up and coming white manager employed at a club. I mean, just off the top of my head, I'm thinking of Paul Lynx and as a player, he was absolutely fantastic. One of the one of the best players England one of the best central midfielders England has produced. I think it would be quite fair to say that. Mm-hmm. But whenever he got a, a job role, it was almost like the expectation immediately was he's going to fail. He's not going to be good enough. He won't be a good coach. But when Gerard and Lampard, well, especially Lampard, when Lampard first got into coaching, oh my God, next future England manager before mm-hmm. Derby have even kicked the ball. And he was how it felt. Now, look, look at where look at where um, Ince had to start. He, he started in Macclesfield yeah, down in yeah. League Two, and you know you get. And I'm, I'm not blaming Gerard and Lampard for this kind of scenario. They've been put in these positions. They've been allowed to be, you know, walk into jobs at Rangers and at Derby County. Uh, you know, so much higher up the, the ladder. Sol Campbell's another one who, for years, he was he was in the media constantly talking about how he was being turned down for jobs and stuff. And, Obviously, we're, we're not sat in on these job interviews and things, so we can't necessarily comment on the fact that, you know, that he might he might have, you know, absolutely flopped, you know, when sat in front of a chairman and he might have some, you know, ridiculous ideas in his head. But at the same time, when you're seeing stuff happening on the, at the, other, on the other side of the fence that just doesn't look right, you've got to be asking questions. Mm. I mean, we, we talk about how do we offer solutions, and that's what kind of this podcast is about really is talking our experiences and how we feel about it. I mean, my, for me, looking at the concept of unconscious bias and actually having to recognize that, you know, there are certain things that are in place that make you automatically (coughs) associate, you know, the the media, for example, exactly as you say, Luke, doesn't bat an eyelid at uh, inexperience when a, a manager like Lampard goes into a, you know, a championship club that by all accounts is trying to chase for promotion. Could you just, it just, it just feels like that would never happen for, for a black manager or an Asian manager. Well, I mean, I'm just trying to think off the top of my head. Um, Ashley Cole, excellent for England, fantastic mm-hmm. career. Um, if he rocked up at, say, Cardiff, for example, I don't know, a, a half decent, Championship team. So let's say Brentford. I don't think there'd be that buzz of oh, actually, Cole's got the Brentford job. Oh, quite an attractive team to watch. They are. I wonder if he mm-hmm. can keep it up. Or da, 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 da. But if if somebody like oh, Leighton Baines was to be given the job, for example, <laughs> yeah, you know, they're probably like, oh God, Leighton Baines has got into football, and the, just get the feeling there'd be a little bit more excitement around. If I'm going to be brutally honest, a mediocre, let's say a mediocre white footballer going into coaching, more so than an excellent mixed-race black footballer going into coaching, is what I'm trying yeah. to allude to. 
you know what, as well, Luke, I think we do it ourselves. You know, I, I think we've had on the fan cast a number of times we've had questions such as, you know, out of the current crop of Wolves players, who's going to be the best manager? Um, you know, it's come through on Twitter corner a number a few times, I think. And immediately our minds spring to, you know, Connor Cody. Um, just because, you know, he has those characteristics, he, yeah. he's a leader, he's vocal, etc. But he, he's also white. And, you know, again, perhaps subconsciously we're doing that ourselves. But why why can't it be the case that Willie Bolly's gonna be an excellent manager at some point in his career or Adama Traore or you know, are we not to say we eventually maybe you, know, you just just because they're not displaying certain characteristics on the pitch doesn't mean they've got not got brilliant ideas about coaching and about managing a football team in their head. And I, I hate to bring it back to this because you know, I got absolutely pilloried for it on, on social media. I'm gonna say it because I feel like it needs to be said again. And the unconscious bias around intelligence and black people is it's it's a thing. It's definitely a thing. And it, it people can't, you know, just ignore that fact because you're seeing real examples, you know, real life cases where people are being overlooked for, you know, level pegging people, Sol Campbell, Paul Ince, Ashley Cole, Gerard Lampard, all part of the same kind of echelon of international footballer. But, you know, you've, we've seen already who's gone into the, the higher levels of football and who hasn't. Mm-hmm. I think when you look at it as well, the stats don't lie. I've just seen something of the uh, of the 91 clubs within it, obviously um, that club went to bust, didn't they, last year? Very, very. Very, that's the one. There was only six BAME managers at that point out of the 91 clubs. But the stats don't lie. Black players make up a higher percent, or not a higher percentage, but definitely more than six out of 91 players are black. So why isn't that reflected in the coaching staff? And mm-hmm. it's got to come down to this subconscious bias. There's no other explanation for it. And I wanted to touch on something you said before about how to be a black manager, it seems like you have to be exceptional. It's not enough to just go in and be an average black manager. You've got to be the best. Because if you're average, people say, oh, well, he's no worse than, he's no better than Tony Poulis, Sam Allardyce, um, you know, those type of managers, the the old school British, will go in, we'll get money and then we'll piss off. Because they'll get lumped in with them and then that, that will then be tarnishing all the other black players who want to get on. But they have as much right to just be bang average shit managers as <laughs> anyone else, haven't they? Like, they've got no God-given right to say, okay, I'm black, I'm going to be the best. And we shouldn't expect that of these pe- of people, of anyone, regardless of the colour of their skin. I think taking it taking it to, to your point, Gully, around um, you know what you mentioned on 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 Twitter around Samada and, and uh, the idea of intelligence. I think part of what caused a, as much of a backlash about it is the fact that for a lot of people. It is unconscious and therefore they don't realise that they do it. So when questioned, it actually may, requires some self-reflection and some self-evaluation. And you might not like the results of, of you actually displaying a behaviour that could be deemed as, at the worst, stereotypical and minorly offensive, it's worst racist. Um, do you, what can we do? to help us identify when we are kind of unconsciously doing these things. It's really hard because 
self-reflection is difficult and it's so much easier to just be angry about it and bat it back and, and say, well, you're being ridiculous. Are you calling me a racist? When those conversations are so reactionary, it, it, it isn't actually highlighting what, what you're trying to say. Yeah, I, I, you're totally right. It, it is a very difficult thing to do. And the trouble with the way that social media is, is structured is that you kind of just end up surrounding yourself with people of the same ilk. Um, and you're never necessarily getting the other side of the coin with your views. You know, I've, I've probably not, you know, seen the other other element of the, certain conversations that mm-hmm. I could be more educated on just because, you know, like you say, you follow what you want to follow, not necessarily what you need to follow. Um, and, yeah, nobody wants to be, you know, let's, let's, let's be clear, being racist is an embarrassment at this point in time, and that's probably a step in the right direction as human mm-hmm. beings. And, you know, people don't want to be labelled as that. You know, they don't want to be labelled as homophobic. They don't want to be labelled as misogynists, as, you know, any any of those kind of really, you know, strong-held um, belief systems. You don't want to be. And that's progress in many ways, uh, you know, as a human race, because it's not that long ago that it was just kind of the dumb thing to be. You know, what what, what did they used to say? No blacks, no Irish, no dogs, you know, in, in, in pubs and all that kind of thing. So it, it, it's, it's slowly getting there. Um, and I don't think I don't think we expect necessarily things to change overnight. But if someone listens to this podcast, and we said this in the in the first podcast, if someone listens to this podcast, has to think about their own behaviour as a result. You know, thankfully we've got more than 140 characters or 280 characters on this audio platform to actually explain ourselves and you know actually get into this this subject and give it the time it deserves. Um, and sometimes things can get taken out of context. So, you know, take a listen to this. You know, don't just read that this is a, a podcast about racism and just ignore it because I reckon there's, there's a, a large percentage of people in this country who will do that because oh, yeah. racism is always a subject matter. It's always in the news and it's only always in the news because it's such a bloody issue at the moment. And I mean, I know it's, it's a completely different topic around the, the Al Gore documentary, but it is an inconvenient truth. It's something that's there and it needs to be, the. it, it might be inconvenient to people to have to question their own or their peers or their friends or their family's beliefs, but it is something that needs, you know, that conversation needs to be there. Hi everyone, Matt from Malls Fancast here. If you're anything like me, time is of the essence these days. How am I meant to take training with my wonder kids on the managerial football simulation game that I'm not allowed to mention for legal reasons if I'm too busy worrying about my online media presence? Well, that's where our friends at PixelYetiMedia.com come in. They're not just web designers. They're a creative agency that cover all of your design needs from websites, brochures and signage to marketing, logo design and branding. So go check them out at PixelYetiMedia.com. They'll get you set up quicker than a Dharma Traore running at a terrified left back. Speaking of which, who's got my baby oil? Hey, podcaster. Meet Acast. We're the top independent podcast network for creators in the know. We empower you to develop your podcast idea, find your audience, and grow listener relationships wherever those listeners are. You'll also find a whole range of ways to make money. From membership plans for paying fans to our fully curated and creative advertising experience. Visit acast.com slash network to find out more. Acast. For the stories.
one thing that, that I've always found really interesting on the topics of, of race and, and the media, um, Stan Collymore, champion, um, he champions a lot of the conversations around race or discussion, but he's been very, very vocal about some of the um, black and ethnic minority presenters of uh, radio and TV, even going along the lines of using phrases such as Uncle Tom, you know, quite significantly. And there is this, there is this kind of um, precursor where you've got an entertaining black host, for example, like Ian Wright, and I dare say the conversations will start happening about Micah Richards as well, where they are only there in a jester capacity to make us laugh and their insights aren't taken as seriously because they're there as entertainment. Luke, is that, a, is that something that, listen, I, I can never, I'll never feel the same way about these things as you because I don't experience these things as, as, as you will. So I can't ever pretend to have the same offence or have the same feelings about these things. In your eyes, is there a is there an element of you know a black presenter in a TV show is always going to be there as a jester, as a joke, and his analysis will never be taken as seriously? Or is Stan Collymore and others that think this are they, in your opinion, are they not on the right lines? Um, I think I'm going to have to disagree with Stan Collymore a little bit there, you know, mm-hmm. because. I think the hot topic at the moment is women presenters, yeah, and and the conversations around female presenters, so and their sort of opinion and match feedback not being taken serious. So it's sort of shining the light off black presenters at the moment, um, because I think it was the case, but from an entertainment point of view, I do think it's a hell of a lot better um, in terms of. X percent of black Asian minority presenters now having a voice mm-hmm. on the TV. And if it was a case, I mean, if, if Stan is correct and my way of thinking isn't, and that is the case, then fair play to Micah Richards because he's doing a damn good job because I think people take him seriously now for what he actually says about the game as well. He, he's just hilarious. He's, he's got to be the funniest pundit out there. Mm-hmm. You should never be excused for just behaving the way you would behave. Yeah, 100%. Uh, you've spot up. He's just been... And that's what we need to see more of in this world. I don't care if you're white, black, Asian, Chinese. If you're just going to sit on the fence when you're discussing two teams that are about to play football or have just played football, I don't want to hear your opinion. I want to hear a bit of honesty, a bit of rawness, a bit of realness. So people like Micah Richards, Roy Keane, fantastic. And that's who the people, I think people, I think people are speaking with, with their thumbs in regards to pundits now as well. I think people are very vocal on social media about who they respect as pundits and who they don't. And from that, I don't, I personally don't see any bias where I'm thinking, oh, do a minute. Ashley Cole's getting a lot of abuse every time he's on about being shit to the point where is this a little bit racist? Mm. I don't, I don't get that vibe at all. I really don't. So I, I'm not. But Stan knows more. Stan's more in the media than me. He knows more. But in my view, at, I think he's at the same more. time, Lou. At the same time, I, I mean, just as a throwaway, you know, my mum, just as an example, probably 
soon after the George Floyd incident, just said, like, oh, there's a lot more black presenters on at the moment, a lot more black pundits on. Yeah, totally innocent comment, but it felt like there was a step change and it felt like there was a concerted effort from media companies to go in that direction. Um, now, again, we're probably going back to the, the conversation of, is it them getting a leg up? Is it the media companies doing a PR job, you know, for themselves? And, 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 and you know, there, there's a question to be answered there perhaps on whether that was, a, a, like you say, it was a, almost a PR move from these companies to, to do that and, and, and take that step. And it's an interesting one because would those players have got, pundits have got the opportunities they had if it hadn't been for a bloke in America getting murdered, which is just absolutely, you know, a shocking, shocking, you know, thought to have. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's absolutely disgusting, really, to think about it that way. I mean, I would just hope personally that Mika Richards has got the job on the opportunity of equalness and fairness, more so than just because of the colour of his skin or the want him to play a particular sort of stereotype. Um, and the same for anyone, even if, I don't know, Wayne Rooney got a job as a pundit on Sky. I'd want him to get it out of fairness, not because of the colour of his skin. So whichever way the, the sort of the coin lands, you'd want it in fairness. And I hope that's the case, more so than, oh God, Black Lives Matter is about, better do something here. Um, yeah, quick, get get Emil Eskey on the blower. You know what I mean? Because nobody <laughs> really wants that. I think there was a time when the like you said, the Uncle Tom, sort of the appealing to white people. I do think there was a time when that was a thing. Um, and it did it did look quite tokenistic. So when Ian Wright used to be wheeled out only ever for the England matches, it, it was never really much of an issue when he was commentating on or um, punditing on other matches. But it was always England. And they'd always, whenever Sean Wright Phillips touched the ball, they would show what Ian Wright was doing in the studio. They didn't give a shit about any of the, the others, but they wanted to show Ian Wright that he's this fun character. And it was this, it, it did it did sort of stick out a little bit because I've never seen them do that with Lee Dixon, for example. I've never seen them give a shit about Martin Keown getting excited when England play. It was always with Ian Wright. But I do feel like, as Luke said, it just felt like there has been a bit of a sea change with that. I don't think that, it doesn't feel quite as highlighted to me anyway. But as she says, between you and me, Matt, we probably don't have the same experiences as no, our, uh, our two no, colleagues here tonight. No, we don't. And it's difficult because, I mean, the most recent time that I've had to kind of take a step back and realise that I was being a cock, really, about my thought patterns was, I know this is, like, bizarre, Um but in the League of Gentlemen, when that got took off Netflix recently, or I think it was Netflix or, or all four, um, because of um, the fury around um, Papa Lazarou, who essentially, for those that haven't watched the League of Gentlemen, is um, I don't know what would you what would you call him? A um, minstrel. Yeah, he's a minstrel. He's a minstrel. Yeah, who um, essentially it was taken off. It was taken off because of concerns around um offensive being offensive um now at the time i very much thought to myself well this 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 is silly he they're not saying that he is like the, the show is saying he's skinny he's actually black and white 
why are people getting offended by this? This is ridiculous. We're doing this as a, we're just doing this for the sake of it. But then I had to, I had to take a step back and I and actually I put something on Facebook and I just I put a message just saying, don't comment on this. Inbox me. Could somebody talk to me about why this is offensive? And I had to have some people from school messaging me and just saying, listen, we don't watch this show, but seeing an image of this person, it brings back uh, issue, issues of abuse that we've had in the past. And it just stuck out to me like a sore thumb. They're like, listen, I, in my, the worst thing that's ever been said to me, somebody make like an Italian joke about like pizza and pasta, like Catrone or something like that's the worst thing that's ever happened to me from a racial point of view. I, you know what I mean? So I think a lot of work has to be done around like just understanding that for, for white people like myself, white males, especially um, that white male that doesn't you know live in a really rough area anymore or anything like that. Understanding that some of the things that you take for granted really are not as innocent as they seem. And that's really difficult for people. And I think it's the same thing around when it comes bringing it back to football. You know, I remember being in um, at the games where we've played like Chelsea and Drogba has had absolutely dogs abuse from people around me. Mm. And then the next thing you know, like, Ebanks Blake will score a worldie and he's the greatest thing since sliced bread. And I just can't understand some, I can't understand some of the things I'm hearing. And it's like, it's not until now that I'm older and wiser that I just realised how absolutely out of order it is. Um, and I think there's so much more we can do to kind of identify when we are being, when we are kind of overlooking things that are, that are solely in your face. And I don't know really, one of the things, one of the things I wanted to ask, like, and, and, I, and I point this question to you, Gully, and, and to you, Luke, is, you know, as a as a white male, it is awkward to talk to people, black people and ethnic minorities about race because I feel very very like I'm not 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 pretentious or not condescending, but I feel like I'm I feel like I'm treading on eggshells around the conversation because I think at, at the flick of a switch I'm going to say something in offense I'm going to say something offensive basically. What are the conversations that you've had with your friends around those kind of things? Is there you know? what advice would you give people when it is talking about racism? Is it that people just need to be open and honest and have conversations or are people, are people too afraid to have these conversations? I, I think we've got to the point where people are too afraid to have the conversations for fear of saying something offensive when they mm. completely don't mean it. Now, if I'm ever speaking to somebody about race issues, topics, I'd rather just have an open, honest conversation. Say exactly what you feel. And then we can have a conversation about it because the stuff you're going to learn from me and the stuff I'm going to learn from you in the process of having that conversation. Mm -hmm. Now, you could say, in my opinion, we could have a conversation and you could say something that you may find offensive, but it all depends on the context, mm -hmm. in my opinion. I really do believe it comes down to context because if, if you're... If you're saying words within a conversation with me to express something and paint a picture, how is that offensive? Mm. But yeah. I think the fear is there because we've seen it all too often where things have been said in an inoffensive way and then they've been construed to have been meant to be offensive and then somebody ends up in a hell of a lot of trouble. Yeah. So, but, but, but I don't want people walking on eggshells when they talk to me about race 
this is this is I'm not going to get a one hundred percent honest conversation out of you because you're going to hold stuff back because you're not yeah. being one hundred percent real. Totally, and and this is the thing where if someone is making you feel that way, they're just as bad as anybody else who might be of a, of a certain disposition in the sense that they're waiting for you to trip yourself up almost and to put you in that kind of scenario. Is that's really poor, really poor from anyone to, to kind mm-hmm. of, you know, be be waiting for someone to, you know, be to be offended by something just to just you know jump on any kind of mishap that you and because because people aren't having these conversations, you don't know necessarily how to behave in that kind of scenario mm-hmm. until you know it's it's one of those it's very chicken and egg you know how can you be prepared prepared for that if. You've never been in that scenario yourself. How can you be prepared to talk race with me and Luke if you don't know how to approach me and Luke with, with the subject? Yeah. And you, you, you're going to fall foul of something if, you know, you don't approach it in the right way. And if you're not, especially if you're not talking to people who are receptive to having that conversation and receptive to potentially you maybe, you know, just having a slip of the tongue even, just, a, you know, just an odd word that, you know, might not necessarily seem so um, offensive at the time, but has certain connotations that maybe you don't necessarily understand entirely yourself. Um, so it, it, it comes both ways. And we talked about this on the last one, didn't we, Luke, about there are racist Indians out there, there are racist black people out there. You know, white people do suffer from racism. That's an, that's an absolute fact. Um, because there have been, you know... Going back years, you know, the first kind of real immigration to this country from from black people, from Indian people. If you're if you're being told you can't walk into a pub because of the colour of your skin, just as an example, you might feel pretty shit about the people who are making those decisions on your behalf. That probably festers. It it sits deep within, and then you create that divide. Now nobody's right in that scenario. Nobody's right, but that doesn't mean that those feelings don't go away within the Asian community, within the black community, you know, people will feel jilted for a serious long period of time. And that still resonates today. And there are, you know, you get communities of solely Indian people and solely black people and solely white people who will just mix within themselves and not really, you know, feel any need to, to branch out and, and deal with, you know, other people from other communities and, then you get that lack of education and then you get mm-hmm. all the other things that come as a result of that, which results in divides and racism. Well, I mean, education is a really, you know, I'm glad you brought that up really, because I mean, this is more verges on xenophobic than, than racist, I suppose. But I remember years ago, I was um, playing uh, crickets over in Tiverdale um, with the guys from work and it just—it sounds so stupid now to say this now, but like we—I had a relationship with the guys there where racism or, or, or uh, to, to, to phrase to coin a phrase from Peep Show was it kind of racial horseplay? Was the kind of like the, like it was we joke amongst each other about these things, and I'd said um, well there were a lot of Asian guys there. I said oh let's do uh, England versus India, just not thinking about it, and um, one of my really close friends he was like I'm not Indian, and I went. Aren't you? And I didn't know. I didn't know he was from Pakistan. Um, and I just assumed it was okay. And uh, and it wasn't, obviously. Um, and it's it's things like that. And it wasn't until then that that happened to me that I actually thought to myself, Christ, man, how much of a prick must I have sounded and how ignorant and, and everything else to 
come out with oh you because you're um because you've got brown skin essentially you must come from india and you must support the great <laughs> cricketing nation of india uh, and not pakistan and i felt really shitty about it and he was really cool about it and he was like no like obviously you know the difference between like pakistan and india don't you know i was, I was like yeah yeah um and i had to learn i had to learn from it and I had to educate myself on it and i think sometimes it takes something like that for us as people to grow um but don't be afraid to have those conversations if you are unsure about something, I guess is a message I'm trying to come across with, with there, because, um, you know, fortunately the people who were there at the time just took it as it, as it, as it was, didn't take offense from it, but it could have, you know, it could have been offensive, I guess. Um, in, in terms of education then within, within kind of racism and, uh, and, uh, and the problems that obviously racist behavior causes, Andy, you're obviously, you're very, you know, you, you read a lot, you, you do a lot in terms of looking um, at kind of articles and stuff like that. Are you seeing more education out there that's readily available for people? Yeah, I think on Twitter, when you do see these troll dickheads come out with their bullshit, you do see quite a bit of pushback from people. And a lot of them are quite willing to just actually have a conversation with you if you don't understand something they are generally willing to have that or they might have articles i mean i read quite a lot of the guardian and obviously being a left-leaning paper they're very much up on these um issues surrounding equality so there is plenty of information out there obviously you've got google like there's a fucking world of information out there for you to go if you want to know about absolutely anything just put into google you will find your answers Obviously, it's not as good as being able to sit down with someone and actually have that conversation, but it's a starting point. And it then means that you can go into a conversation with someone who is different from yourself and not immediately come from a position of ignorance. You actually know a little bit of something that you can bring to the table and then your, your knowledge becomes malleable. So you can learn from it, you can grow and you can become the person you want to become. Mm. Yeah, definitely. There's there is a wealth of things out there, and it's about kind of taking that step really to to get out there and and, and educate yourself. What one thing I wanted to talk about? Um, obviously, it was talked about Black Lives Matter and and, and taking the knee, etc. Before, um, there's been movement since the last podcast and now where clubs now one by one or or, or at least a few clubs have come out and said that they're not doing that anymore, and. I was in, in, engaged in a bit of a Twitter debate about it with somebody else saying, actually, like personally for me, I don't think that taking the knee now has anywhere near the same impact that it did before and a measure actually of a club's commitment to races, uh, anti-racist um, behaviour isn't about whether their club takes the knee or not. It's actually what projects they do with their local community and, and, and things like that. Um, where, where are you along the lines of going around the room in terms of kind of taking the knee now and and you know kick it out and and these campaigns is it enough that clubs will just take the knee now or do they need still to be doing more and actually advertise the work they're doing helping tackle the problem for me like i i, I like american football so i sort of took i knew about taking a knee way back when it was Colin Kaepernick doing it, when it first started and what it meant. And it, it had an impact, like all of America was talking about it. They were up in arms because their dickhead president said that it was, you know, against the troops when it clearly wasn't. But it got people talking and that was great. 
And I know, obviously, when we bought it in, it was off the back of this absolutely horrific incident across the pond. And it was good to see that the footballing community said, like, we're tired of this shit. We, we've had enough. We do think there needs to be some change. However, now we've got to this point where it's, it's performative. What's the point in taking a knee if you're not then going to actually do something about it? Mm, and I, I kind of feel like the FA, they fucked themselves up on this because in the summer, they stopped saying, oh, this isn't about Black Lives Matter now. This is about, oh, it's, it's everything. It's, it's any issue you've ever got. That's what this is about now. Don't dilute the message. The message is about, like, stop being a racist dick. That's what the message was. And then they decided to try and water it down without really following through. And we've seen stuff like kick it out over the years. And have they made that much of an impact? Other than everyone knows the slogan, but is a slogan enough to actually make any change? And I'd argue it probably isn't. More does need to be done now. Mm. I mean, for me, it's in regards to Black Lives Matter. Are we any any further on them than we were? God, how long have they been taking the knee for now? Six, seven months. Yeah, something like that. I, I, I don't see it being any any further on. Um, it's. I'd, personally, I'd, I'd struggle to see. I'd struggle to see the point in it now. I really do. Like you said, yeah, great at first. It looked like you actively wanted to make a difference, but little to no difference has been seen or or noted. So, why why are you continuing? Is it just a token gesture? Now? Just to do make you know what I mean? Good? I, I think part of it is um, the lockdown hasn't helped for me. I think when we everyone's been cocooned in this in this you know shitty situation that we're all in, the the, the one major impact it's had is that lack of interaction between human beings and things that tend to kind of fester a little bit. Um, you might then go to a game as an example, on a weekend, you see it in front of you, you see the guys, players taking the knee. What would have happened if that was, if there was a full stadium, right? And, you know, as an example, you had at Molyneux a certain elements of the crowd booing, right? What would have happened was there would have been some kind of, not necessarily necessarily an altercation or anything, but some kind of backlash within the stadium itself. And that is a moment that I think still needs to come. I think it still needs to happen because that's a bit more of a catalyst for them people understanding things a little bit more. Like we said, people just surround themselves with the information they want to surround themselves with when they're on social media and stuff. And that's what we're seeing. We're just seeing people following, reading all the same stuff about how BLM is a, you know, political, you know, organisation and, you know, all of this kind of, you know, communist beliefs and all that stuff that was coming out around it at the time, all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, nobody from any other part of the part of the conversation gets a word in edgeways because they're just entrenched in, in that belief. And that kind of then leads to, you know, what, what's the biggest problem in football at this moment in time? It's it's literally week to week, game to game, racial abuse 
of black footballers and of recently Asian footballers as well. That is something you can't, it's not going to be impacted by taking the knee. It's just not, you know, as much as I still, taking the knee still needs to happen. It's a symbol. It needs to keep going because it keeps it in people's minds. The whole, you know, idea of, you know, Marcus Rashford getting abused for missing the chance got nothing to do with it, I don't think. I think it's a total separate, you know, conversation that needs to be had about that and a total separate approach needs to be had. Two things can be, these things can happen at the same time. It doesn't have to be one or the other. And that's where the social media um, accounts, uh, policies and all that kind of stuff comes in and, and, and that's where the verifications and the ID checks really need to happen sooner rather than later, I think. I, I think, think go on, sorry, Luke. Sorry, yeah, just talking about um, the Black Lives Matter on in the media sort of stalling a little bit. For me, Sky and BT and whoever else, instead of just putting the little slogan on in the corner of the match, of corner of the screen, getting your presenters to wear a pin badge every other week, they need to do more when somebody is openly racist on a Sky Sports article, for example, on their website. What are they doing to monitor and track that? So that's what they can be doing. I'd I'd much rather they be doing that sort of work than just sticking the Black Lives Matter logo in the top right-hand corner of the screen. Mm. Because... Yeah, you want results, don't you? Targeting and investigating and, and sort of draining the swamp, <laughs> to coin a phrase, <laughs> um, is going to have a bigger impact than these players taking the knee. So are there examples of that happening? Because I've not really heard of anything like that. Someone commented on an article about stuff. Well, of course, I think if, if you read articles on any given website, as soon as a debating tables, there's always some sort of abuse and a high majority of the time it's, it's racist. It's not, don't believe that racism just happening when Axel Tuanzebe puts up a, po- a, p- a post on Instagram. No, 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 of course, yeah, no, you I know, totally it's get that. It's happening everywhere, absolutely everywhere. You know, you can you can read, uh, I don't know, something on the Sky News Facebook uh, page, racism, something on the Daily Mail or Sky Sports comment section on an article on their website, you'll see racism, you'll see it on Twitter, you'll see it on Instagram. It's absolutely everywhere. I think it, it boils down to it boils down to accountability, um, and the fact that we've been we've got to a position where you can be anonymous. Really, I don't know because the, the tinfoil hat wearer of me, you know, does think, well, is this, you know, capturing my data if I have to give my data? But like, I think when you look realistically, we had this conversation earlier in the chat about like COVID passports and stuff like that about like. You know, if you carry your phone around with you, everyone knows where you are anyway if they want to know. Um, so I mean, it's, it's much of a muchness. I think action needs to be taken by social media platforms now. I think, enough, you know, enough is enough. There can't be this continuation of of allowing and basically endorsing nameless, faceless abuse because it's 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 just conveniently accessible for people to be able to spread their, their, their messages like that. And it's not, it's just not, it's just not on. I mean, one thing I have learned is these platforms can actually do more. They're choosing not to. Mm. And the proof being 
we all have we all have a laugh and a joke about me being suspended from Twitter. So, backstory is I got suspended from Twitter for having a conversation with another Wolves fan um, about Matt Hong Hancock, who wasn't tagged in the tweet. And I was just saying, I wouldn't mind sort of giving him a slap, but there would be a long queue. So it was a bit tongue-in-cheek. I don't actually physically want to hurt him. It was a tongue-in-cheek joke. I got suspended off Twitter for that. Mm-hmm. Was it last night or the night before, Andy tried to make me a Twitter from a completely different IP address? Don't tell people. <laughs> <laughs> and as soon as I logged into that Twitter account, in my home, the account got suspended within, what, three minutes? Mm. So they can do it. Now, I would like to imagine that it's a lot more offensive to post something racist, even if it's just emojis, on somebody's account. So that's actively entering their brain space, that view of that racism. Mm -hmm. More so than a random father of two from Ashmore Park Slagging off Matt Hancock. Mm. You're, a da- you're a danger to society, Lou. But it, it's bizarre. And and for me, because I have all, I have sat here and I have thought, mm, yeah, I bet it is hard to sort of trap the people who are, who are sending these messages. But it's not. And the proof is there. And yeah. I've experienced and lived the proof. So they can do more. So why are they not? And that's the question I've got now to sort of Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, whatever. Why are you not doing more? Because you can Mm. No, it's a, an absolutely yeah. valid question. Very, very valid question. And I think that the the pressure that is being put on them is getting more and more. The more we see, you know, um, footballers come out with um, and actually showing the abuse that they're receiving, it will it will hopefully get to a point where it can't be ignored anymore and action has to be taken. Um, and then we would hopefully see the benefits of that. Um, is there anything anybody Do- kind of... Go on, sorry, Gulu. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I can't get my head get, get this out of my head, really, though, because I feel like, and we understand that more famous people will get abused, but it's almost become an attention-seeking thing now, where, you know, we're seeing it week to week, and, you know, it's headline news that X player has received um, abuse on Instagram, in the DMs, or on Twitter, or on Facebook, or whatever, and you know, people have posted the tweets or, you know, and screenshotted it. And I wonder, in, in a really sick way, if people are treating this as their moment in the limelight and they're, you know, getting off on this kind of attention, it, it's it's disgusting if it is. But have we got to that stage in life where social media has taken over to that extent that people will do this kind of stuff for attention they will no they can't they can't get likes and retweets any other way so they'll do it by posting absolute disgusting abhorrent abuse just for this kind and, and you know it can't be beyond the realms of possibility that this shit is going through their heads oh no i mean i think there's there's a culture out there of people that get off on having the most like i well so and so blocks me so-and-so blocks me because of, you know, there, there is an element of that. People do take glee out of being blocked by we had people, people. People chasing Morgan Gibbs White's missus off Twitter and celebrating about it. And you think, mm-hmm. 
what like that's our own you know fan group as well mm. like what 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 is there to enjoy about that i'm sorry i, I don't i don't understand it yeah when you deep it really you have made a i don't know how old she is let's say 22 a 22 year old girl feel that shit about herself she'd have to close a social media account mm-hmm. what what is the kick to get out of that really it's determined to get somebody to close down a social media account and see that as a win. What's the win? It's not a win, it's a dub. Ah. dub. <laughs> a W in the chat, as they say nowadays, I think. Well, it's it when I mean when you actually deep it, it's it's embarrassing, isn't it? Really? It is. It, mm. is. it is. I mean We've all got our um, experiences when we've seen things like that, and then t- and then even further back, then our, you know experiences, and you know we will continue with this series um, going forward, and we'll keep things relevant to what's going on around the time of that recording, but also talk about our own experiences and and where we find um, we things are improving or not improving, and bring that to the front. Really, I'd say for anybody that's listening to this podcast, you know, get in touch with us via you know via Twitter or via Instagram and, and, you know, let us know your experiences and, and, you know, what you've taken from this podcast. You know, we, we appreciate your feedback as much as we appreciate you listening to it because the whole point of this podcast really, and the whole point of the mental health podcast and the whole point of this platform in general under the Fancast banner is getting the conversation going because that literally quite literally is the only way things will change if people are willing to talk about it. Um, So we would urge people to have the conversations because it takes an uncomfortable conversation now and then to actually learn some things. And as we mentioned earlier in this episode, we, there's not a place for kind of tiptoeing around these issues because they, they are worth more than a slight red face and feeling a bit embarrassed about it because there are, there are bigger things in play. There are more important things in play than just ourselves going on in the world at the moment. So I, I would urge people to, when they listen, have the conversations all with us or your friends or your peer group, read more, look into kind of things that you that, that you do in your own lives. And and I think it can only we can only improve ourselves when, when we have got these conversations. Is there anything anybody wants to kind of sign off with? Anything that they want to kind of bring up before we wrap up on this podcast? Pretty much just going out think, with, yeah. if anyone does want to have a conversation, have a conversation. But if, if you're feeling uncomfortable, just try and re- remain respectful. And, and uh, if you remain respectful, you'll get a conversation out of nine out of ten people. Yeah, yeah, totally. I think that's the key point here, Luke. People might not agree with what we're saying here, but if you're willing to listen to us, if you spent, you know, whatever time you spent listening to this podcast, you should then be in a space where you feel, you know, comfortable enough to speak and also kind of, I guess, you know, not defensive enough to, to really kind of, you know, spark, you know, an argument about this kind of subject. It's all, we're all on a different, you know, different part of our learning curve. We've all, you know, had stereotypes within our own head. We've, we've all, you know, joked about certain things which we shouldn't necessarily have joked about. And, you know, let's just kind of go on the journey together a little bit. Yeah, Definitely. Um, so I think we'll wrap it up there, guys. We don't want to uh, we obviously want to be able to have these further conversations. So um, we'll wrap it up for now. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed it and um, we'll see you on the next one. So uh, from Luke, if you want to say goodbye. See you later. Billy, if you want to say goodbye. Good night, peeps. Happy Pancake Day.
Happy Pancake Day indeed. Andy, if you want to say bye. See you all later. And from me, Matt, take it easy, guys. Look after yourselves. renting furniture with feather looks like pieces that fit your style and your space and cost less than your monthly phone bill oh and did we mention delivery and assembly included feather start renting at livefeather.com whatever you're saving up for a cd from sandy spring bank lets you grow your savings at a guaranteed rate right now earn interest at 5.00 percent apy on an eight-month cd special or 4.25% APY on a 14-month CD special. Learn more at sandyspringbank.com slash cdspecials. Minimum opening deposit to earn the annual percentage yield is $500 for the 8-month CD special and $2,500 for the 14-month CD special. Member FDIC.